Amen. All right, so Mr. Hudson Taylor. So some bio background on Mr. Hudson Taylor. He was born May 21st, 1832 in Barnsley, England. And he died June 3rd, 1905 at the age of 73 in Changsha, Hunan in China. Um, so he is best known as a champion of missions efforts in China. He founded the China Inland Mission and uh, really pioneered missions in China in a huge degree. Side note, uh, the cemetery where he was buried was destroyed as part of the Cultural Revolution, and sadly, there are just bland industrial buildings over his grave today in mm -hmm. China. But anyway, some background on his uh, family. His family was Methodist, so he was brought up in a Christian home, you would say. He withdrew from the Methodists because he was not able to reconcile the late uh, proceedings or some of the proceedings with the doctrines of the precepts of Holy Scripture. So once again, another guy who compared everything to Scripture. He never really settled in a denomination after that. He kind of bounced around to a few denominations after that. And a few years after his conversion, he found his way to China. He married another missionary in China in 1858 named Maria Dyer. They were married for 12 years she died at age 33 from complications from childbirth, leaving him at age 38 with four kids. They had eight children total. Um, I guess between, uh, he had eight children total between his next wife. Uh, three died at birth, two in childhood, and the ones who uh, survived all became missionaries wow. in China as well. His second wife he met in England. He actually met on the way to England when he was trying to get his first wife uh, medical care in England. Mm -hmm. So he met Jenny Falding, and they were married shortly thereafter in 1871. And they were married for 33 years, and she died the year before he did. Mm -hmm. So was blessed to marry, looks like, two very godly ladies and had uh, very long marriages uh, with them. So... Some bio information. How about some themes in his life? Number one, conversion. He was brought up in a Christian home, as we said. He was converted at age 17, mostly due to the prayers of his mother. Uh, he also read a track uh, in his father's library and was struck by the words, the finished work of Christ. And I'll read a little bit from our book. This is actually a story of the conversion told by no other than one of his dearest friends, Mr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. So he said, my friend Hudson Taylor, who has done such a wonderful work for China, was brought up in a godly home. He was a young man. He tried to imitate the lies of his parents and failing in his own strength to make himself better, he swung to the other extreme and began to entertain skeptical notions. One day, when his mother was away from home, a great yearning after her boy possessed her. She went up to her room to plead with God that even now he would save him. If I remember all right, she said that she would not leave the room until she had the assurance that her boy would be brought to Christ. At length, her faith triumphed. She rose quite certain that all was well, and even now her son was saved. What was he doing at the time? Having a half an hour to spare, he wandered into his father's library and aimlessly took down one book after another to find some short and interesting passage to divert his mind. He could not find what he wanted in any of the books, so seeing a narrative tract, he took it up with the intention of reading the story and putting it down when the sermon started. 
As he read, he came to the words, the finished work of Christ. And almost at the very moment in which his mother, who was miles away, claimed his soul of God, light came into his heart. He saw that it was the finished work of Christ that he was to be saved. And kneeling in his father's library, he sought and found the life of God. Some days afterwards, when his mother returned, he said to her, I have some news to tell you. And she says, oh, I know what it is. She answered, smiling, you've given yourself to God. Who told you? He asked in astonishment. And she said, God told me. And together they praised him who at the same moment gave faith to the mother and life to the son, and who has since made him such a blessing to the world. It was the mother's faith, claiming the blessing even now that did it. I tell you this remarkable incident that many others may be stirred up to the same immediate and importunate desire for the salvation of their children and relatives. There are some things we must always pray for with submission as to whether it is the will of God to bestow them upon us, but for the salvation of men and women we may ask for without a fear. God delights to save and to bless. And when the faith is given to us, expect an immediate answer to such prayer. Thrice happy are we. That's a good saying. Thrice happy are we. Seek such faith even now. I beseech you even now. Good old Spurgeon. I beseech you. Quite a story of conversion, huh? It's craziness. Um, he seems to have, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, he seems to have a subsequent conversion uh, afterwards or a subsequent experience afterwards. After many low times and battles with sin, and he would credit uh, John 4.14 again, going with the word of God. John 4.14 tells us, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So in his Christian walk, evidently, he had a dry period, and he was messing with sin, and he was feeling defeated, and he stumbled upon this verse and realized that abiding in Christ, that should go away. And he had a subsequent experience. I don't think he would call it a conversion experience. But he had a subsequent experience of just the depth of abiding in Christ and the, the continual soul refreshment that that should give uh, a believer. But what thoughts about this dramatic conversion experience? What things come to mind from it? Well, it's interesting that even back then the Methodists were not holding to the Word of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy! Yep. Hey, sirrah, sirrah. Yeah. Yep. Oh boy. <clears throat> yep. Those dear old Methodists. Yeah. What about uh, his mom? His mom. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep praying. Keep praying. Yeah, Melanie and I often say. We'll try to get rid of that, but it's gonna come back. I rebuke you. <laughs> um, his mom, Melanie, and I often will say, and maybe my mom's listening, um, that we owe a great, a great debt to praying mothers. Mm. And we know for a fact that my mom prayed for my salvation for a long time, and, and Mel's mom, you know, surely prayed as well. So I can acknowledge that too. Uh, you mom. know my mom, she prays yeah. me. No, that, your, your mom? <laughs> my mom. Your mom. My mom, too. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, 
the uh, divots in the carpet next to the bed where her yeah, knees right. embedded. Hmm. I never forget that. Yeah. There's something really Remember? special about a mom's praying heart, right, for her children. We come in at night and say, what are you doing up yet? Why aren't you sleeping? <laughs> you know, because I had to walk past her bedroom. Could never get past the bedroom. Yeah. Go real, real slow, right? <laughs> I go, oops, you're awake. The floorboards squeak. <laughs> like, darn it. Mm -hmm. uh, the mothers, right? Yeah. Melanie doesn't usually sleep if the kids were out. I do now. Unlike myself. Nice. You do now. <laughs> He's 25, is not our <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of the faith she had? Yeah. She must have seen something changed in him. I mean, she said God told her he yeah. was saved, but yeah. she must have just seen a change just in his meaner and his face and his countenance. Yeah. Mother's, yeah. mother's, mother's intuition. intuition. Yeah. Yeah, of course the challenge like, do we pray for the conversion of our family members like Mrs. Taylor did? Probably not. Probably not. But just like uh, as the story goes by Mr. Spurgeon, right, that moment that came over her, like, oh man, just stopping everything and praying right then and there. I guess God doesn't get tired of our same old prayers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we pray every day for our kids. Yep. Yep. An encouragement to, to keep doing that. Remember yep. that God plays the long game and hopefully God's got a plan and we continue to pray and ask and we continue to be legit and good disciples and have a good gospel platform for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of, you know, seek and you shall find, ask and the door, um, you know, and you'll be given, knock and the door will be open. <clears throat> but yeah. in my version it says, keep on seeking Keep on yeah. asking, keep on knocking. Yep. So if we aren't persistent, then do we really, you know, how much do we really want it? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And God recognizes that. Yeah. What about the idea of, of I can't remember who else it was, there's someone else who was converted by reading tons of books uh, that, that his father had in the library, but what does it say about us and like the books we keep around the house, you know, yeah. the materials. Like, do our kids or do we cultivate that attitude of, yes, I, I want to continue to learn and grow. And do we leave these things around? I mean, he picked up a track in his father's library. You know? And are we cultivating those private means of grace at home? And are we continuing to read? Are we continuing to grow? Are we continuing to study? Because you never know who's going to walk through and pick it up and... Yeah. All right, so, sorry for this slide. It's going to be very small, and it's already half covered. So, in the new building, we'll have a real TV. Um, just keep saying stuff like that, right? But he was most noted for his missions work in China. He read a book on China, and The Need for Missions, he started medical training and started an internship in Hull, England. And as, a, uh, as an act of training, he fed himself only rice to get ready to go to China. And quickly he got very sick because apparently you need more than rice to live mm -hmm. on. So he got very sick, but nevertheless, he was still burdened for the people of China. He just couldn't get it out of his head that every day so many people were dying without Christ. There was hardly any missionaries there and so many people. Um, 
the big obstacle was, that, of course, as a Westerner, it wasn't that easy to go to China. You couldn't really get over there, and they didn't want Westerners in China. Um, he first entered China and signed up with the Chinese Evangelical Society in medical missions. He left his schooling behind. He wasn't done with his schooling yet, but he had the opportunity to go with this organization, the Chinese Evangelical Society, and so he dropped his school and he went, and his mother had a conniption. Just weeping and objecting and screaming and wailing. and So that's another, another person who just uh, went really against the wishes of his family. But he landed in Shanghai in China with no language training. Didn't know the language. He had no theology training. He had no missions training on March 1st, 1854. He quickly realized his blonde hair and his giant black overcoat were making him stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> So he dyed his hair dark, and he wore the traditional Chinese pigtail and donned a traditional Chinese uh, coat. And he started preaching on the streets with an interpreter. And at the time, there was a revolution. There was a big opium trade, and so that had a lot of battles going on. And so he literally was dodging cannonballs as he was preaching the gospel in the streets. He found out that if I had a boat, or he had a boat, I could, I could navigate the rivers. I could go upstream. I could go in country. So he bought a boat and he went up river with medical supplies and interpreters and the gospel and he did that for about four years and he resigned from his first missions organization and basically because of another conviction that'll sound very familiar that he didn't like that they would go into debt in order to continue to proclaim the gospel so mm -hmm. that was a major conviction for him and so he left that organization his hero of course you might remember from last week Mr. Mueller mm. was also a guy who didn't believe in, de in debt. So, Two years into his marriage, his, his first wife, uh, Mary, was very sick with hepatitis. They sailed to England again for treatment. We've seen that time and time again in the 17th and 18th centuries. Like, you know, if you're in a foreign country and you were really sick, you had to get on a boat and go back to civilization. He finished medical training while he was home. That was the good thing. But he also then researched all the missions activity in China and realized it was terrible. There was basically one missionary per three million people. Hmm. And they had millions of people. They couldn't shake the idea that there just needs to be a different missions organization. And so he started one. He wrote a book called China's Spiritual Need and Claims. He printed 3,000 copies and he started the China Inland Mission. He used a very unconventional approach. One of them already was the, the idea that there's no debt. So there's not going to be any debt in the China Inland Mission. And the other one was a little theologically sketchy, but he said anyone of any denomination can come and be a missionary, which at that time people were like, you, know, you had your Methodist, you had your Baptist, you had you know, all that stuff. So that was very unconventional. Let me read a little bit from our book in 798. On Sunday, June 25th, 1865, unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, that hurt. It's just like, just the thought about just Christians rejoicing in their comfy churches while thousands were perishing, millions were perishing without the gospel. He says, I wandered out on the sands alone in great spiritual agony, and there the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for his service. I told him that all the responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with him, that as his servant it was mine to obey and follow him, his to direct 
to care for, to guide me, to those who might labor with me. Need I say that peace at once flowed into my burdened heart? There and then I asked him for 24 fellow workers, two of each of 11 inland provinces, which were without a missionary, and two from Mongolia. And writing the petition in the margin of the Bible I had with me, I returned home with a heart enjoyed rest as it had been a stranger to it for months. So he kind of had this moment on the beach in Brighton where he knew he wanted to start an organization, but the whole thing just seemed completely overwhelming to him. And he started to stress out and started to panic. How would I ever do this? I need all these missionaries. I need all this money. I need all this training. And he just laid it all on the line with the Lord. And immediately he just said to say something pithy. Maybe he gave it to God. And he realized if this is a work of God, God will do it. And I just need to stop working, worrying about it. And so it was a huge, huge moment for him. Um, and that was the start of really the, the China Inland Mission. Um, he spent time away from his second wife. He was married to his second wife by then. He made 10 sea voyages to China from England. And Piper estimates that this cost him four to five years of his life just on the water. And you think your commute to work is bad. Right? Four... Four to five years he spent cumulatively sailing back and forth to China. Uh, he lived through the Boxer Rebellion, which I spent some time going down a rabbit trail and uh, learning about that in China. Um, it was basically a reaction from the traditionalist Chinese against uh, Christian missionaries and other Westerners that were in their, in their country. They started to rebel again very violently. And so his mission organization was the hardest hit. He lost 58 people were killed and 21 children were killed in the Boxer Rebellion. At the time of his death, um, China Inland Mission was an international mission with 825 missionaries in all 18 provinces of China. They had over 300 mission statements and over stations and over 500 local Chinese helpers. That was going from probably none of that and basically maybe less than 100 missionaries in the, in the country total. But by the time he died, there was over 800 missionaries all over China and 300 mission state, stations and 500 <coughs> Chinese helpers. Today, there is about 1,600 missionaries that work for his organization, which continues today, which is called OMFF, which I'm not sure what that stands for, Operation Missions, something like that. But it, it still continues today. And in 2015, they celebrated their 150th anniversary. And just so you know, the progress of the gospel, in 1900, there were about 100,000 Christians in China. And today, there are upwards of 150 million Christians mm -hmm. in China. In China, the Chinese church still continues to grow very strong today as well. So, some observations from his work, from his missions work. His I, call to mission. God blessed it, for sure. Oh, yeah. God blessed it. He Did he combine... He combined his uh, his medical outreach along with his preaching. Yeah. And just like Samaritan's Purse, yeah. I, you know, they combine that outreach yeah. uh, with with the mission work. I think that's most likely what gave him some favorable uh, that he was able to go in. Yeah, because they didn't have help people. Had no help access. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's no small endeavor either. It's not like you just took a course for five weeks. I'm like you know, you he was a surgeon. 
he went to school for that. Wow. And again, the whole idea of like, I'm going to bring this to China, and that's how I'm going to get the gospel in there. Well, it's not unlike uh, today, whereas so many countries, including China, uh, desire to know the English language. So yep. people go into the country True. under the guise of uh, teaching language, which they legitimately do, but they combine that with uh, gospel outreach. Yeah, like our friends, Jonathan and Sheila. Mm -hmm. Yep, just saw them, yeah. What about the idea of contextualization? He got there, he realized he stood out like a sore thumb, dyed his hair, donned a ponytail, and started dressing like a Chinese guy. So I actually love that. <laughs> I love that because he recognized that the message he had was applicable to their culture. He wasn't there doing the thing that I've seen a lot in this century, which is preaching Western culture and calling it Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was going to ask, how, when do we get into dangerous waters exactly. with contextualization? I remember when we went to our, my one brief mission trip to Jamaica, um, that was the biggest, hardest, saddest thing for my heart to see was that these people were converting to be able to wear Western clothes oh. and sing their Western church songs. Yep. And... Um, we're waiting for the Western Church to give their next money deposit for the mission stuff. Mm. But uh, the church that we fell in love with in Jamaica was Jamaican. And yeah. you went into this little tiny hut that barely had a roof on it, and the people had hardly any clothes, but their faith was legit. Yeah. And there was such a difference. I feel like a lot of times um, it's easy for us to market the culture and put a uh, Christian wrapping paper on it. Yeah. Sometimes instead of giving them the real gift, exactly. which is yeah. the faith actually can translate into their culture. Right. Um, I remember I used to have a friend, Gary Gaffney, who was telling me that um, when they used to go down to South America to, to teach churches about praise and worship ministries, that they would, <laughs> they would have to prepare their band because when you go down there, their churches are like six hours long for Sunday. <laughs> and they were like, when you go, you bring your breakfast, you bring your lunch, you oh bring my your gosh. dinner. And the whole community like comes wow. around for that six hours of Sunday church, but that's the thing is like that's how they do church in their culture. Like that's that's and God is relevant yeah. in their culture. Yeah. Didn't Paul talk about some of that? Uh, he did about that concept. Yeah. Yep. I can't quote it. First Corinthians nine twenty two. He says. Um, well, starting at 19, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I'm not under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I would win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, but here's the summary. Um, uh, yeah, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So that's biblical um, biblical contextualization, right? And, and, and yeah, there definitely is a tipping point in, in American Western Christianity where it's more syncretism, where we've blended in with the world and compromised in some of our doctrine and theology in the sense of, well, you know, we all push back against the suits and the ties and the organs and the pews and everything else like that. But, but, okay, but for what? And, and where are we now? And are we better off for that? Right. So there's a t he, um, Hudson Taylor 
paraphrased that verse and said this, let us in all things except sin become Chinese so that by any means we might save some. So he was, that was his mission. He's like, no, no, we got to look like these people, right? Um, and you know, some churches, let's face it, you kind of walk in and you kind of feel like I entered a time warp, <clears throat> like I'm frozen in 1979 or something, whatever, whatever it is. And it's just, it, it feels weird, right? It should be kind of invisible because it should just feel like where you're at, whatever your ministry context is. It should feel like that. It shouldn't stand out. It should just kind of... Okay, well, people are here. They're dressed like everybody else, and this is the culture. And so, any other thoughts on gospel contextualization? Somebody should communicate that to the Amish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when they learn to get a Bible, they can read this on a journal. I'm sure it'll help. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fashion's coming around, though. Yeah, but they're not complaining. They're hipsters that dress like that. Amish, so. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ronald. I would like to contest the fact that you can't survive on rice. I knew you were going to do that. I've literally only eaten rice my entire life. Only? No, I'm chicken fingers. Well, it depends on the Some sort of protein, I guess. If you're eating white rice, there's no nutrients. Brown rice. What about the idea of his burden for China? I mean, it's 18, whatever, 1860. You can't fire up Google.com and start to, you know, learn about other cultures. How in the world do people get burdens for other cultures? I think God gives that to them, just like people today might feel burden for inner city, <coughs> burden for rural areas, or burden for a foreign country, a particular yeah. foreign country. I think that... God gives and blesses uh, people and equips them uh, in, in that way to minister yeah. in different uh, areas of communities and countries. Yeah. Yeah. Did he hang out with anybody that had China connections or his, uh, in his history? His, actually, it was, uh, I saw one video that his parents already were aware of how many people lived in China and the lack of missionaries. So, so it was something that they started to talk about yeah. And then I think his interest was piqued. He read a book about it and was like, ah, that's when he felt the, the hook of the Holy Spirit there. But what about us? I mean, to Bob's point, and God still does that, right? He still puts yep. causes and sure people groups and countries and other things on our hearts. And what do we do when he does? We ignore it. No. No. <laughs> we open up a boarding school in Uganda and another school in go. Kenya and now we're trying to buy property for a high school, so nice. Yeah. But just like Cole said, you know, with, with the prison ministry, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, it took off a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's something for us to be aware of too. Um and we have more access of course to um cultures than we ever had in our in our life. Uh, with the internet and all the things that we can see and when we hear that little voice of the Holy Spirit yeah where, you know, wherever it's calling you yeah for whatever you know whether yep. it's your, just your family yep you know what you know what and I don't say just but you know your family your friends um, sure you know uh, yeah definitely anywhere you happen to be yep so yeah it kind of teaches us today to to walk in step with the spirit and 
and not kind of squelch that. Yeah. Say like, oh, you feel a burden in your heart for a person or a people group or something. Right? Like a joyous her mission field to shop, right? Or it was. Yeah, it was. Now it's uh, <laughs> Kroger's or whatever they have. Food line. Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> the food lion. Yeah. <laughs> Winn Dixie. Winn Dixie. <laughs> yeah. So something to something to be aware of. I just thought that was so remarkable, you know, uh, especially in that day and age, to have such a burden. <coughs> All right, but one of his big things, of course, was dependence on God. Taylor mm-hmm. refused to borrow money to sustain the mission, like his hero Mueller. Yeah. He focused on prayer and faith. Those were his two things. And he said he felt no anxiety about it. It was yeah. in one of his books. I'm sure he had his moments, but um, overwhelmingly, he just, like maybe it was that moment in Brighton where he just gave it up to the Lord and said, that's it. You know, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I think there's a point in time where if we're worrying about something, we can realize that it's doing more damage to us. We just better stop worrying about it. Or it's going to kill us because mm-hmm. we can't yeah. control it. Mm-hmm. So maybe he had that moment. Um, but his very famous saying, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Yeah. Now I know who said that. Yeah. I've heard that before, but I didn't associate yeah. it with Mr. Taylor. Yeah. So depend Mr. on it. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Mm-hmm. And what an encouragement that is for us yeah. at Highlands. When we think about bringing on associate pastors and Nehemiah funds and anything else we want to endeavor to do. Right? He also said, God is not looking for men of great faith. He is looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. Ooh, I love that. I like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Can you say it one more time? God is not looking for men of great faith. He is looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. It's crazy, right? Yeah. And of course, he, he clung to such passages as Philippians 4.19, which I should be able to say from heart. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I could sing. My God shall supply. Riches and glory. He who has angels charge over me, not in context. Jehovah Jireh. Yeah, throw in a Jehovah Jireh there. The whole chapter in Philippians is awesome. But he didn't suffer a lot of depression like Spurgeon, though, right? He didn't Uh seem to. He really kind of bottomed out after his first wife died, uh, Mm -hmm. and he came very, very close to that. But, you know, he spent some time in depression, but not nearly to the extent of some of the other guys that we saw. Uh, I've been looked at. um, And he kind of, there's another quote that he kind of resolved himself to. He said, the Lord has helped us to this point, and he will see to it from now on. It's like, he's got us this far. Mm -hmm. Like, it's his mission. He's going to continue to do it. So. It's a great story. I heard that he preached once at D.L. Moody's church when he was back. Um, and uh, after he finished preaching, Moody told the congregation that this is Hudson Taylor. He started a mission organization in China, as you heard, and we are going to take up a special offering for him right now. So get ready. And Hudson Taylor said, no way. Oh, We're really? not going to do that. So they did not. He refused, and they did not take up a special offering. The next day, he received a check for five thousand U.S. dollars, 
which at that day probably was an exorbitant amount of money. And there was a note with the $5,000 that said, if I had given at church yesterday, I would only have been able to give you $5. Oh. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I'm sure he's got a thousand stories like that. And just God's provision in the ways that he trusted him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, back then, right? It wasn't like uh, you could probably whip out your credit card or do a little right. text transfer or, you know, you had the money on you or not. That was it. This guy went home and got $5,000 and sent it to him. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Looked him up on Google, found his address. Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Are you guys doing okay? I see a couple of ladies in the that's front okay. row just trembling. Um, I, always, <laughs> I, I always carry jackets. <laughs> he, always, he always has a cold in the car. It feels good to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think about this? What things are we... Uh, are resonating. How does this help us live for Christ today? Some of these examples again. Our lives are in His hand. Yeah, our lives are in His hand. Sure. That kind of resolve that He has, like it's His deal. Well, we should always be focused in prayer and faith. Yeah. You know, besides prayer and I mean, isn't that like the most important thing? Mm-hmm. Things, you know, prayer and faith. Yeah. Actually, then they're kind of related. Yeah. I mean, if you're not praying, do you have faith? Mm-hmm. Well, you, I think you certainly could pray without faith. You could pray without faith. Yeah. Right, but if you have faith, or you claim to have faith, and you're not praying. Yeah. True. Yeah. You know. What do you have faith in? What do you have faith in? Right. <laughs> Your own abilities right. to provide yep. what you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what we're saying when we're not praying. Yeah. Is I got this. Right. Maybe we could use that as our motto with the church going forward. God's work done God's way will not lack yeah. God's supply. Yeah. <laughs> Nehemiah team motto. Yeah, yeah. Nehemiah team yeah. motto. I, mean, how I like it. Mm-hmm. How appropriate. Yep. You can like share it. that at the next meeting, your little Devo time or something. I like it too that God is not looking for men of great faith. He's looking for common men to trust His great faithfulness too. Yeah. I mean, it's not me. It's not us, it's not anything special in it. Yeah. You know, I'm no spe- more special than Ron. Well, maybe Ron. Oh. <laughs> I'm no more special than Frank. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the race comment. Yeah. <laughs> We're all special. But, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you say, Ken. <laughs> what do you think, though, about, um, again, I'm kind of struck, just like Mueller, it's like, does that mean if we go into debt, are we wrong? No. So, no. So, what's the balance between trusting God and our responsibility? How do we navigate that? Well, I think there's a balance even with, it's not wrong to go into debt, but for the right reason. How much debt, you know what I mean? Right. Responsibly. And why are you right. because why you just have you to get that right. boat that you yeah. don't need. Right. And you're going to, you know, $50,000 in debt or something. Right. I mean, I think we're all called to be stewards, good stewards of what God's given us. And we certainly right. have made a lot of mistakes throughout the years. I, I struggle with that, though, Pastor Mike. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it, how, yeah, much, I, how much debt is godly when really it can affect your 
ministry effectiveness. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I struggle with that, and I think about that even with the building program. You know, I mean, what what we need and what we want are two different things, and right, and and you need to balance that because uh, we 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 come from a church uh, that the mortgage was how much a month? Sixty four hundred. Sixty four hundred dollars a month. So, um, I mean, they made it every every year. Dang. That's a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, we were talking about that because. Uh, and the, yeah. it, it, mm. you can. Wow. You don't need an extravagant church. You need a building that's adequate to serve, and yeah, have all our programs and yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. I, I want the group to know that I'm not being judgmental about the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. If somebody had, uh, there was a built. A lot, a lot, and, and that was a lot of builders donating things. It's, it's, but it was a post and beam church. Somebody was, you, right. you know, it's a I, ministry. I it's a ministry philosophy, but your ministry philosophy will always reveal your theology. Like the Crystal Cathedral. Yeah. I, I mean, right. And it, so it's like, so why do we, why do we need what we, why do we need what we need? Right. That yeah. those are heart words. Those are worship words. And so I think it's so. always going to reveal your theology. Like, why do you believe that you? Your need heart is where your pocketbook is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something that we talk about. Yep. You know, where's, where's that Christian biblical balance? Yeah. And, and I think even thinking about that question is probably better than most, right? Because I don't know if people really even think about that. Just because you can. On, on a it. grand scale, right? So they, they don't ask, do I have this money? They ask, how much is it a month? Or they're, they're not going to think ahead and say, what is this going to do to my ability to give and to help others? They might not think about that. right? Well, we, These are things we're supposed to be thinking about as Christians. We have uh, kind of a real life, Tony's going to, when we were looking for a house, right? The real estate person kept on showing us houses, right? And they knew our income. Yep. And then we just, no, we really... We kept we, saying we can't afford we this. Can't we afford can't afford that. this. Yeah. And finally, he asked, finally yeah. he asked, why not? Finally, why not? And we well, said we tied the church. We got we kids in Christian school, and and we had yeah. that discussion about twenty five houses in, you know. Yeah. And all of a sudden he goes, "Oh, yeah, I'm not going to get anywhere with these people." And he said to us, "That could be a mortgage payment." Um, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you think? Yeah. yeah. So again, it's a value based decision, right? And as Christians, we're called to have a biblical worldview, and that should dictate our values. Right. Just because you could, that, and that, that's America today. Right. If you can afford it, you buy it. Yep. But just well, because even you if you can't afford it, well, even if you can't afford it, you buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Just because if you, you can afford the mortgage, you buy it. <laughs> yeah. But you know. Yeah. But do you really need it all? You know right. what I mean? Right. Instead of four thousand dollar mortgage, you right. you can make do with. Yeah, so I think we're saying, right, the application of godly wisdom, right, through a biblical worldview. We need to be good stewards. Right? Yeah, but what, like Freedom Church, I think about that, and if this Pastor Steve hadn't gotten a mortgage and mortgaged oh, yeah. the church, there wouldn't be a Freedom Church today, yeah. you know? And so Again, we're not, we're not pronouncing a blanket statement of sin. And then, and then we had a big party when it was all paid off. Yeah, yeah. At the church, well, you know, it was quite the celebration we had, you know, in Saying, hey, we're debt free now. We can do even more. But we were still doing uh, missions and all kinds of stuff, you know, paying the mortgage. But we we had a responsibly sized mortgage too. So. Yeah. 
wasn't yeah. wasn't <clears throat> overly burdensome. It wasn't sixty four hundred a month. No, but moving <laughs> forward, it, it, they needed more classrooms. They needed an elevator. They never remortgaged more money. It just came. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they put a need out there, put, and the money need. was there. And, and, and the money came in. Yep. Yep. Rhoda, you had your hand up. I did. One of the, a part of the conversation actually makes me wonder if it was less about stewardship and more about him understanding the culture he was delivering that message to, because that time period between like the early 1800s and, and the mid-1950s, there was this whole time in China where the economy system of the West was seen as a, like it had its own stigma to them. Mm. And I'm just wondering what would have happened had he went in there and had this Western church economy competing in his culture, and then with a faith sticker on it. Oh, right, yep. So I kind of think, had there been memos going mm, out yeah. from someone in China saying that yeah. people in the West are like, I just, I think he wanted to segregate any option that could have been a risk factor to people looking at that faith as anything but it Could be true. Like, yeah. just package it purely in just a faith and don't put anything people else around it. People had a very anti-Western... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very good. All right, so one of the other things that especially uh, Piper hit on was uh, the idea of union with Christ, oneness with Jesus, and how that related to the doctrine of sanctification. Mm -hmm. Somebody remind me of the doctrine of sanctification. I always forget that. <laughs> what is sanctification? Becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus, not becoming a saint. We talked about that in men's Bible study this well, We're already saints. What's that? We're already saints. We are already saints. Well, you talked about that at Bible study. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a little a little section from the, the book here, and these are some of Piper's words. Read the um, Hebrews. The other thing to notice is the truth that exploded was his oneness with Jesus. And Taylor says it carefully. The Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. He knew it before. But at this time, the Holy Spirit gave him a new sight of the wonder of it. This is exactly the way he understood it. The prayer of Ephesians 1.18 was answered as never before, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Taylor said, as I read it, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus and saw that he had said, I will never leave thee. I saw not only Jesus will never leave me, but that I am a member of his body his flesh and his bones. The vine is not the root merely, but all root, stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, fruit. And Jesus is not that alone. He is soil and sunshine, air and showers, and 10,000 times more than we've ever dreamed, wished, or needed. Oh, for the joy of seeing this truth. So he had this moment where, uh, again, he had a few moments. But this was another moment where he experienced the idea that the truth kind of drove home about exactly what it means, the, the unity with Christ or being in Christ. We'll see that many times in Scripture. Whereas Piper says, oneness in Christ. This gets into a little bit of where he leaned. He leaned theologically. Uh, at this time, there was the Keswick movement. The Keswick movement was much towards the... Uh, let go and let God kind of movement. It was more of the experiential kind of movement, and then I've given it to God, and therefore now I'm okay. And maybe to the to the decrease of less striving and more just abiding in, mm. in who I am, right? So, yeah, he had he definitely leaned uh, in in the Keswick kind of the victorious 
um, Christian life kind of thing. Um, if you're an extreme, kind of like hyper-Calvinism, if you're a hyper-Kazikian, <laughs> you could actually say that you could live a sinless life. That's right. If you if you take yeah. that to the extreme, there were people yeah. that say that they could live a I, sinless I, life. I have heard that. And they lived in a little box. And they can... No, it's well, it's anti-biblical first of all. But oh yeah, I mean, you, you can't live a yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. No, you, you even in a little box you're going to sin so, anyway. Oh yeah, because your heart's so, in your little box right, with your you. Right, your heart's yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've lived so. a sinless life for. Exactly, we can't. Yeah. It's impossible. But that's that's where the tension of Taylor came in because he kept kind of having these experiences and he's like, oh, I'm just resting in Christ and everything's fine. Right, right? but we are also more than overcomers through Jesus, as yep. it tells us, you know. So there's got to be a balance. Over right. the years, he did balance this understanding, but he never lost that experience of abiding and what that really meant. The cool thing that was going on at this time was a guy named J.C. Ryle was writing his book called Holiness, which is kicking my butt in the mornings because I'm reading it. It's a terrible book. Don't read it. It's too convicting. Okay. Just pass. Read something else. Um, but Ryle is on the other side saying, no, 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 you got to strive. you got to kill sin. you got to get up in the morning. You've got to get after holiness. And sanctification, that's the most important thing. So you got these both these guys kind of on two ends of the spectrum that are happening right now in, in theology. So what is it? Is it is it is it striving or is it just um being? <laughs> Never yes. is one or the other, Wendy says. Yes, it she is says, both. it's a balance. It's not the answer is not in the extreme, right? Right. We see both in scripture. Yes, we do. Right? We definitely see both in scripture. Um, I was reminded um, this morning. Although we're only victorious and sinless through Jesus. True. So there's nothing that we did. Yeah. Positionally, for it's, sure. Right. Yeah. Positionally. Um, if somebody Maybe eventually in heaven. Somebody could find the book of 1 Timothy 1. That would be very, very great. Right before 2 Timothy. <laughs> that's why he's the elder. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, that's it. That's why. Oh, and the mouth of babes. First Timothy six twelve from Fresh Conviction of Mr. Ryle this morning. He says, "Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life mm. to which you were called, and about which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses." So there he is. He's like, "Fight the good fight of faith," right? Take hold of eternal life mm -hmm. to which you were called. Well, well hold on there, <laughs> Paul. What is mm -hmm. it? Are we supposed to fight it? Are we supposed to take hold of it? Or just were we called to it? Right? Oh. Yeah. Right? Scripture leaves it there. Yeah. I love it. Scripture is just like, yep, there it is. It's intention. It's like that age-old argument. Like, you know, are we responsible? Is God sovereign? And Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Scripture just leaves yeah. it right there, and it's intention, mm -hmm. and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right, so we see both in, in time. Um, but the doctrine of union with Christ is huge. And you will see that all over the New Testament, especially with Paul. He will say, in Christ. All these yeah. blessings in Christ, being yeah. united with Christ. Right. What are some blessings that we have as being united in Christ? Ooh, I'm sinless before the Father. Yeah, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness. Yeah. 
Sinlessness. What else? Well, sinlessness positionally. Positionally, right. An inheritance. Yeah. Inheritance that can never mm-hmm. perish. In heaven before us. Or fade. Ephesians mm-hmm. 1. Yep. Yep. What else? What other encouragements do we have in Christ? Other Christian friends. Yep. Fellowship of believers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, Eternal life. In Christ alone. Eternal life. Oh, that was a part of the. Um, Reformation too, right? Oh sure. Yeah. Uh, Sola uh, Christus. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In Christ alone, that was part of that, that whole movement. Yep. With Luther. Yep. The idea of being, I always think of um, Romans six, um, when we talk about being united with Christ, starting in verse five. For if we've been united with Him in a death like this, mm-hmm. we shall certainly be united with Him in a, in a resurrection mm-hmm. like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, and now we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives to God. For you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The union, the doctrine of the union of Christ, right? It, when you look at the facts of the gospel, that Christ mm-hmm. died and rose again, it's right there with who we are. Mm-hmm. We, too, because we're united to Christ, we are dead to sin and we are alive to our new selves, right? We are united to him in his death, meaning our old self is dead, our sin is dead, mm-hmm. And we are alive because he resurrected. We're united to him in resurrection. So we're united to him then to walk in newness of life. It was in the benediction too, um, the resurrection uh, in Hebrews. It mentions that in the the benediction, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. We actually finished Hebrews today. Rejoice, everyone. Mm -hmm. Correct. And that's also benediction. Yep. Yeah, that final. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. What's that? The sh- sheep? <laughs> Smelly sheep? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, when we talk about, uh, we talk about Christians of the past helping us live for Christ today. The doctrine of the union of union in Christ is is colossal for us in Christ today. It's our identity. Mm-hmm. It's who we are. Those are big whole concepts for us to get in our brains. That's what Hudson Taylor knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. Who Christ was and who he was in Christ. Mm-hmm. So. Good stuff. Charles Spurgeon, one of his good friends, said, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. Mm. And just the fact, too, that, uh, you know, our convictions develop over time. They really do. The things that, that, you know, we see in Scripture, they change. We're not going to change on the core doctrines of the gospel. But these other things, we see these guys kind of progressing through, whether it's eschatology or whatever, we know, whatever else, right? different things as we grow. All right. Comments, questions, encouraging remarks. Yes. Ronald you Edwin. add soy sauce to the rice? Does that add more <laughs> value? Or? Just salt. 
Yeah, I don't recommend just the rice diet. Isn't that, wouldn't that just bind you up really good? Well, that may explain a lot about Ron. <laughs> we know what Ron eats. Yeah. Any other thoughts, comments? Uh, in regards to what we were talking about before, as far as when do you know, you know, going into debt or not going into debt, whether yeah. God is going to bless your ministry or whether it should be blessed. Yep. I remember um, a sermon, you know, and the, uh, where the minister made a point that he, you know, he personally hated the uh, like televangelists who yeah. would address their audiences and say like God needs you to give your money. God needs you. God, you know, like yeah, this won't happen so without you. Yeah. And he's like, that's so backwards. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your pocketbooks. He doesn't need your life savings. Like he, he already mm -hmm. owns all of it anyway. Yeah. So making that plea to people like, oh, this ministry won't work without your donation right yeah. now is, is very, again, not, not biblical, but it's an insult to God to think of him that sure. way. Like God needs our help. If we don't help him, God's powerless. Poor God. Right. Mm -hmm. Just right. up there wringing his little hands, hoping that we cough up the extra dollars. Right. So in that in that sermon, he made a point. It's like, look, if if a ministry goes down, God might have wanted it that way. Not every ministry that fledgling ministry that is created is what God wants. Yeah. Or how God is going to accomplish things. Yeah. Maybe He is going to use those people, but just not in that way. Yeah. So you can't pretend like, oh, you know, like it's this horrible tragedy if this yeah. attempt, you know, fails. Well, maybe He's going to use those same people in something totally different. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But to think that, oh, you know, God failed us, or or it's because mm -hmm. people didn't give us their money. Yeah. It's like that's that's uh, again the wrong way to look at it. Like, God will bless the ministries he intends to bless. And you can get all the money in the world and still have a ministry go down because God didn't bless it. Yeah. Oh, we've true. seen that. Yeah. yeah. And we'll continue to see that. Yeah. Money is an effective tool. But it's interesting to see how the idol of money will manifest itself. And without naming any denominations, that's a prosperity staple one-on-one is that sow a seed of faith and God will return it to you tenfold, thousandfold. But it, even in some churches, you will pay for services rendered. Oh, your, your, lost one, your loved one is lost in purgatory if you purchase these candles and donate. Yeah. So we see money starting to weave its way into the function of the church, and that's a big no-no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm proud that Highlands doesn't have an ethos of passing the plates, fundraising, passing the plates, and, yeah, and begging for money and <coughs> funding programs. We, I, in my opinion, we handle our finances very uh, biblically. Mm -hmm. So that's important because world treasures on yeah. the world. Has anyone seen the Hillsong documentary? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good lord! Three hundred million dollars a year in revenue, or was it one hundred and thirty million a year in revenue? Like that's insane money. Yeah, insane. And they're making little churches in the Eastern Bloc kick back portions of their tithes just for being a Hillsong affiliate. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, we. Well, somebody said it, right? That's where your heart is. There's a lot of. Well, I know Jesus said it, but somebody said it tonight. It's, you know, you can definitely see what you love by looking at your wallet. Yeah. I remember reading an old an old book. I want to say late eighteen hundreds called, <clears throat> excuse me, the Path to Wealth, mm. and it was, you know, again, it, it tried to 
reach into the Old Testament where God made this promise to the Israelites, like, yes, but, you know, you're going to tithe, and I'm going to bless you for your, you know, faithfulness yep. to me. And they try to say, well, if you do that now, he's going to pour out all of his <laughs> blessings on you, and it's like a tit-for-tat thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just mm -hmm. thinking, like, they again, they do a good job, be it 150 years ago, but it's just I'm like Still done this, today. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, wait a second, didn't, didn't they promise we were going to get suffering? And did they promise we would, you know have to sacrifice in this life yeah. and this book is like oh, you dip your 10% you're going to get so much more back like it's some kind of investment scheme you know yeah it's not how it works it's prosperity one one yeah <clears throat> well it is only one place in the bible where god does say to test him on it though is tithing oh sure yeah so yeah it's just you can't reduce god to a mathematical formula right no no and so, right. but you're right. right i mean and those blessings don't have to be necessarily They're, money right back. those blessings right. do not have to be money no. the principles of sowing and reaping are, are yeah. uniform across the yeah. yeah i mean i think we but, can all give testimony to how faithful you can't outgive been. god Correct. you can't no i think can. the way that my brother and i were talking about it one time when we were when he came back from uganda when he was there we were talking about how um how a lot of times you go and you go to these people that are hopeless and they so desperately need hope that sometimes they mistake the wealth of your culture that's offering the hope mm -hmm. from the faith that they're offering. Yeah. Which is why... Happened so, in Haiti. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why sometimes if you're not careful, you, we as, as Western missionaries sometimes can go and just yeah. because we look like we do and we have fundraising boxes we pass out it, yeah it looks like we're offering something besides faith mm -hmm. so i kind of love the idea that he was hands out yeah I did, that's really insightful i think there might have been more to the cultural connection yeah than than a lot of people really had made that were looking at his life it's, it's very true well there's this whole notion that came about in the 1980s with the larry burkett with the economy of god models okay and they were talking a lot about how and some of the strongest missions that took off, like Wildfire Fire, actually did that. They segregated the economy from how they were able to minister with their faith. And you remember the guy that we we were looking at as a missionary that was doing the cucumber farming? Yeah. Remember that guy? Question no. mark. Yeah. Cucumber. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. sea cucumber, but they never yes. got So they, they didn't get a chance to start it, but models like that where there were missionaries that were going, and they already had, their, they were yes. going as a tradesperson. Yes. yes. But yes. they were able to get established in the community. In the community. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and share the faith that way. Yeah. Um, that there are certain communities that, that that divides a faith from ever being associated with an economy of any sort. Gotcha, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's so easy to do that, especially in cultures where... You're dealing with poverty. Yeah, exactly. Because hope can look like it looks like you're yeah. you're taking the faith, but the hope they're really kind of wanting yeah. is next week's paycheck. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was difficult. The kids in Haiti would believe anything you you know, sure, yeah, I accept Jesus. Absolutely. Ex yeah. Give me a soccer ball. Give me some yeah. food. Yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> and tomorrow they'll accept right. um, Muhammad if he also has, you yeah. know, gumballs and, and yeah and Swedish fish. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that was Hudson Taylor's model. Exactly. Yeah, I think balance is the important word. Yeah. You know, with, with debt and all of that. Yep. Um, Godly discernment. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like stewardship. Wisdom. Mm -hmm. I, I think it should be discussed. Godly you know wisdom. You I mean? Yeah. In any of the finances, you know. Yeah. Uh, what about balance here, you know? Yeah. And pray about in it. In our premarital uh, course, we say that every spending decision is a spiritual decision. 
how, how much is money the, um, the dividing, um, dividing knife in, in, in marriages? It's one of the most you know? complex. Oh, yeah. yeah. Complex. Because I shudder when mm -hmm. people have separate bank accounts. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I listen and I'm saying, yep. ooh. Not boy, good. Uh, well, everybody does that. Well, not us, you know. She's not going to get my money. Yeah. She's not going to see what I spend my money on. We had separate because my husband's handwriting was so poor I couldn't read what he was writing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just because it, it didn't matter. We were both on each other's. Yeah, I, I mean, we had separate at times. I couldn't read his handwriting. What did you spend well, that on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's the reality that we're stewards. It's spiritual connection to our heart. And it's not, yeah, it goes for the gospel. Just like everything else. Like Ron said, it's a tool. Just like everything else in our life. Mm-hmm. Should be, should be could set be in motion evil uh, to be used for, good. for the gospel. Mm -hmm. Well, good guys. Let me uh, pray for us. Thank you for, Lord. Thank you for uh, this night. Thank you for the ministry of Hudson Taylor, and of course the legacy that lives on. And mm -hmm. as we think about the impact to China, where where literally uh, millions and millions of people have come to Christ uh, through His initial faithfulness and that little work that you have blessed that now continues and continues to motivate people to go to China and Lord, of course, with the politics today and just the, the, the realization of, of uh, the world powers on the stage and we just continue to pray for the church that exists there now, that they would be faithful and that many more uh, would come to see you. And uh, we thank you for the way that you love us and you treat us with grace. Pray that we would grow all the more to trust you as we are united to you through faith in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, another successful midweek. Woohoo! And Justin's Justin. back. And Justin's yeah. back. Yeah, Justin's back.